0: Hello and welcome to the Mariner. With me, Chris Stanmore Major. And in this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Global Solo Challenge. Now, if you haven't come across this, I'd get you to go and have a look at their website. There's a link in the description for the podcast. It's just globalsolochallenge.com, as you might imagine. And uh, it's a really unique event. It's a round-the-world racing event. You know, that's something that's uh, close to my heart and something I've been trying to get off the ground. In the last couple of years through COVID, we're gonna go west around the world. Are we gonna do the Ocean Globe race? Are we gonna start our own race? Um, all of those things have been floating around for me, and I've been, I've had to kind of like modify my plans and I've been pushed off other plans. If I go through the uh, quick uh, history of it, I was very interested to do the west around the world record attempt. I'm still very interested in that, but I've got a modification in that I realize I have a boat that can do it much more effectively than the open 60 so we'll talk about that another date but uh, that's still on my list of things to do it has been for me personally since the year 2000 so west around the world still on the cards but it's not the thing to go and do in the open 60 when we have that wonderful 80 foot maxi available which i've recently sailed solo and found to be absolutely amazing going upwind so West around the world, let's put that to one side. The Ocean Globe Race, I was very, very interested to get involved in this. We got a boat specifically for that. That's why we got the maxi. We had people signed up to go and do it. And then unfortunately, the race authorities, the race director, decided to cancel the big boat class. So there was no division for us to run in in the Ocean Globe Race. So both of those two things then kind of get put onto the onto the cooling slab for a little while. And uh, I started thinking about, is there another race around the world? Like I was trying to think of, are there other ways of doing around the world race? Is there another concept other than just, here's a start line in France, and then you race around the world and come back to it, which is what everything seems to be. And then I came across the Global Solo Challenge. Now, the cool thing about this is that it's a pursuit race. And I've never, I think maybe I've done one pursuit race, isn't the round the island race in the UK, Is that that's kind of a pursuit race. All the small boats set off first and then the big boats come along behind. and You end up with like 1,500 to 2,000 boats going up the Solent and uh, all the big boats trying to plough their way through the smaller fleet, which leads to the third call in sailing. There's two calls in sailor. One is water, i.e. you need to give me some space here because I'm getting into shallow water. I can't proceed in this direction. So the call of water The next is the call of starboard. I'm on starboard tack, you're on port tack. uh, I have a right away, you need to get out of my way. So we can call for water, we can call starboard. Or of course, if you're doing a pursuit race up the Solent in the UK, very narrow waterway with thousands literally of smaller boats ahead of you, comes the third call in sailing, which is of course, tonnage. Tonnage! And get everybody out of your way, if you can, before you go ploughing through Uh, the (laughs) 22 foot 23 foot boats are also in the race but um, a pursuit race has a very interesting concept to it which is that everybody sets off at different times but then when you're on the water everybody's racing each other now for me that's a very exciting concept because you know think about it there's there's no better race to be involved in in one where you're passing everybody if you watch something like formula one you watch lewis hamilton go right to the back of the grid and then lo and behold by the end of the race he's at the front it's some of the most thrilling racing you ever get to see um but it very rarely happens with big fast boats because they're always in a category with other big fast boats and when you do do a race where there's the possibility of other boats being ahead of you, it's normally that, uh, you know, being ahead of you and then you overtake them. Um, it never normally happens because, of course, the fastest boats go first and then the slower boats uh, come along thereafter. So when I talked to the race organizer for this one, uh, Marco, I was very, very excited to see that he'd really thought this out, really got a cool concept in mind. And that boats from 35 feet to 55 feet were all invited to come together to race Against each other around the world, non stop, no assistance, no outside help of any any type, and south of the three stormy capes. And I realized this is kind of what I was looking for. It's a different kind of race. And I've done round the world sailing with a crew with stops going through the Panama Canal and all up through northern China and San Francisco and that way. I've done solo around the world with stops south of the three stormy capes. I've stopped at Cape Town, stopped at New Zealand, stopped at Um, Punta del Este and at Charleston so dividing up the uh, the world's ocean into five parts for the Velux five oceans race the next one to do is obviously some kind of non-stop around the world race but the Vendee Globe has got to be like an ultimate uh, peak to get to and if you're going to go and get involved in that you probably want to get a boat that's competitive if you possibly can because if you put all that effort in Uh, it'd be nice to be somewhere near the front of what's going on rather than just chasing along behind. So with this race that we're looking at, the Global Solo Challenge, boats will be setting off from as early as uh, the first week of September. And the last boats, we're just going to have to work out exactly when we leave so that it's absolutely fair. And we'll be looking at the Uh, specific uh, capacities of the boat the the speed of the boat and we can use the IRC rating system to understand a little bit more about um, how fast these boats are relative to other boats in the fleet but from what we're looking at now it's gonna be the first or possibly second week of December so there's gonna be boats setting off early in September and then two months later I will set off so um I've been having a, a bit of a, a think about this uh, and 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 working out is this something I want to be involved in and made the commitment a week, about a week ago, two weeks ago now, that yes, indeed, this is something I want to do. So I am now a fully entered uh, participant in the Global Solo Challenge. And at the moment, it looks like there's, I think, 27 competitors. I'll just get my uh, computer running here so we can just get a few details about this race as we're going along the uh i know there's i'm the 53rd person to enter the race but a number of people have already retired from it it's just one of those things with round the world racing it really catches the imagination it's something that gets people very passionate very quickly but there are a lot of realities that come to bear on something like this that can uh stop a project like this in its tracks and you know for a lot of folks they'll be thinking i'll get a boat and i'll fix it up and i'll get the money to do this and then i'll find some time away from home and I've got to go through that as well, but I already have a boat in the Open 60, which has been sitting um, on the mooring now for like two years, not going anywhere. Um, It's had loads of work done to it. It was almost ready to go sailing at the beginning of this year for the Regatta del Sol al Sol. And then I had the insurance pulled by the insurance company after the uh, conflict started in the Ukraine. A lot of insurance companies pulled any risky uh policies they had and our race cover got pulled very quickly plus we had an issue with a rigging order which we had made in europe which then in the end was never fulfilled so um, the boat has got still a a requirement for the rigging and the sails um, as the race is over a year away and I need to do training beforehand, it's kind of appropriate that the rigging gets changed just before the race because the rigging on this boat is PBO. Um, it's a composite and it's only good for 30,000 miles. And the shortest distance you can do around the world legally for a, to, for it to be called a circumnavigation or certainly by the World Speed Sailing Record Council, um, it needs to be 21,800 miles. It's always more than that. It's going to be at least 26 thousand miles i'd imagine to go around the world which leaves only three thousand miles to do uh on the rigging for training so that we can't really do that so we have to look at uh the rigging's got to be replaced before the race or certainly close to the race so we need the rigging done that's fine and we need also sails now i have definitely enough sails to go and race now and put another ten thousand miles on the boat but i don't have the sails that are going to take me into the southern ocean um, so th- there's there's definitely problems to be solved there for me looking at this going and get involved in it it gives a point and a focus to the digital content which i'm now moving into creating we've discovered in the last six months that it is now impossible to ensure properly and have proper liability for people who are not professionals coming onto these boats and being involved in offshore racing i don't know how other companies are doing it but certainly There's nobody I can find who I trust and and can rely on to insure me in that situation. So I can go and do something on that boat and be fully insured on my own. And then the income will come from creating content towards that. And this is the first of that today. I know I've done lots of updates on uh, the Mariner YouTube channel over the last couple of years about that boat. They're all still absolutely Pertinent. All the work that was done is uh, sitting there. There's a, a nicely overhauled engine sitting there, just slowly collecting bits and bobs of rust on the exposed cast iron sections of the exhaust. Um, all the electronics have been gone through, all the cabins have been painted inside, all of the ballast pumping system has been overhauled, all of the gearboxes for operating the winches and the winches themselves have been serviced and gone through the ballast control system um, the ballast control system all the valves and what have you has been assessed but it's going to need to have things replaced there Um, all the decks been painted the uh, dagger boards painted uh, like a lot of stuff a lot a lot of stuff and a lot of components purchased for the boat and they're never put onto it particularly all the solar panels and the solar panel um, uh, charging system so a lot of the way along the path already but I am not unaware of the fact that getting to the start line of a round the world race is almost more difficult than getting to the finish line like any big voyage like anything that you want to do in a boat just going out on a <laughs> going out on a Saturday afternoon sometimes is complicated enough but to bring everything to a point of readiness where you can then with some some trust in yourself and trust in the situation set off around the world that's that's a tricky one and it's something for me that I really want to work on because when I went around the world last time there was only eight weeks preparation I just come back from sailing around the world I got this opportunity to, to, to go and do this thing on an open 60 there was only eight weeks available and the boat was not available to sail for seven of those weeks it, it, it the boat was provided um, it was not in a situation where we could um, uh, sail it. So it went into the boatyard. And then from the boatyard, we got very quickly into all of the jobs that needed to happen. And we suddenly had uh, no time left to go sailing apart from to deliver it to the start line and then go off sailing around the world. It was quite incredible. I I, I think I talked about this in one of the earliest podcasts I did. I think like episode one or two of The Mariner. But um, literally, I was in a situation where... I set off. Uh, I set off from the start line for the round the world yacht race, and I'd only ever sailed the boat five hundred miles solo, and I'd probably I'd sailed boats solo previously, but that's like saying, yeah, I've been out driving in a car on my own, so therefore I should be okay to get into the cockpit of a Formula One car on my own and drive for two hours in a race. Like there's no logic there. It's completely and utterly different. So I ended up setting off with. I can remember the actual moment when we set off uh, at the start line. It, everything was about as bad as it possibly could be. The The boat that was following us, like the support boat that was meant to take off my crew member Aston just before the start of the race, after he'd helped me put up the mainsail, their steering went. It was like a, I don't know if it was a hydraulic steering system or something, but like they couldn't steer straight. So the the little dinghy couldn't get back to us to take Aston off. So there was a lot of stress as to, hey, we're going to like this disqualify me from the race here if my crewman doesn't get off before this gun goes um so he had to make like a diving lurching uh, sort of straddle between the two boats and half get himself on get his feet wet and get off that had me like you know confused as you might imagine okay i'll just turn away from this little incident and then i've got to go and sail to cape town solo um but also inside the boat there was just boxes and boxes of gear just lying in the bottom of the boat that had not been put away that hadn't been rationalized there was tools everywhere there were jobs half done um, it'd been a titanic effort as you can imagine to get an open 60 that was last time it had sailed competitively it was four years before and around the world race and it'd been ridden hard and put away wet it was a massive task to get everything ready and uh you know it just the inside of the boat that the the hurried nature of it and uh and also i remember bless him aston at that point was very new to this kind of racing and whilst he had um been with me for this seven week eight week preparation period i hadn't like taught him everything i knew about boats and he had it in his head that when the boat finally went sailing and went racing it would need to have the water in its ballast tanks he'd been there when the ballast tanks had been um filled and then the boat had had its ink 10 degree inclination test making sure the boat didn't heal its deck more than 10 degrees um with full ballast over and the keel across and the, the ballast across on one side he'd been there for that but it hadn't still got fully on top of it wasn't really a sailor at that point and uh so he had very kindly opened all of the ballast tank um uh, Scoops. So I had uh, full ballast tanks, which was a a great. I know he's doing it to help me out, but as you can imagine, it meant that uh, on that boat, there was like five tons of extra water on board a nine ton race boat. So it was a very (laughs) slow start. So that was my experience previously of going over the start line. But I was able to witness somebody in the shape of Brad Van Loo, who won the race that I was involved in, set off uh like a greyhound he he knew exactly what he was doing everything was organized the sails were perfect for the um perfectly chosen for the conditions on the start day and he was gone he was like over the horizon while i was still working out how to get the water out my ballast tanks and i do remember i got to the first turning mark they always do a windward mark and then you go off to wherever um i got to the mark and hoisted my code five for the next part of the uh, sale and uh, the the winch that i put it onto. Uh, the, the the main gear that was driving that winch internally, uh, some of the teeth sheared off it at that moment. And the winch ran backwards and then got its sheet completely mixed up. And so my first open water leg on the race was done with ballast tanks finally draining out. Loads of crap inside the boat that's now getting tipped all over the place as we sail. The winch is all completely messed up with this run backwards with a code five sheet on it and i'm at the very very back so any start to this round the world race that's better than that has got to be good but i am excited about the prospect of the fact that when we set off there's going to be uh oh i should just have a, i've got the website open here now let's have a see there's an entries list it's a very good website globalsolochallenge.com um i've got my name up there go to entries and entries list i'm sure here it says okay so there's 32 full entries and there's 21 people have sort of entered the race and then decided not to continue with their entry so we've got um uh, 32 in at the moment now 32 full entries at this point and there's no upper limit to how many can get involved from what i can see um That is a very big round-the-world yacht race. I'm trying to think. Is the Vendee Globe 2008... Didn't the Vendee Globe allow a few other boats in? But it was the year of the uh, highest attrition. I think only one-third of the boats came home in 2008... Um, But 27 is a normal number that enters the Vendée Globe. But something like this uh, is an opportunity for all sorts of people to get involved. And uh, looking here, we've got, um, I'm not going to read every single one because like 32 entries, but I see there's an Open 60. Well, that's me. But then Open 50, Class 40, Oceanus 50, uh, Far 1 Ton. Wow, 40 foot LOA. Okay, interesting. Another Class 40, another Open 50, Class 40, Class 40, b42 custom 53 sharp 47 i could go on and on but there's a saddler 34 rocking colin bastable okay now what's interesting on oh, x37 man there's everything here a Hamble 50 uh Frez 48 kiwi 41 these are just the boats far 45 open 40 open 40 that's uh that's an interesting one. I don't see many of those. An s and 34. So we've got a cross section here of people that would have gone in the Golden Globe race and boats that are now too old to go in races competitively, whether the Globe 40 or the Vendee Globe. And I think that is a very, very strong area to be um, to be picking up people from you know to be picking up potential sailors from because everyone's got something and everyone wants to be involved in the race and all sorts of different people will say yeah okay i don't mind taking 200 days to go around the world i just want to do it i'm not i don't really care if i'm competitive or not where other people like myself you know i have a little one now who's 10 months old i don't want to miss too much of his life i don't want to be away from home in that way so going on a six month odyssey around the world is not actually what i want to do with my life right now but the possibility is with an open 60 like this that we can actually keep that to about 100 days and 100 days at sea is something that i can get my head around so i went quickly to the um fino.com um, fino conch are the guys that designed this boat it was uh, built in 1999 for dominic wav and um the boat uh has a pretty uh pretty pretty decent uh racing history it was uh fourth in the vendee globe in 2004 2005 it was second in the transat in 2004 it was third in the rolex fastnet in 2003 it was fifth in the vendee globe in 2000 2001 and it was seventh in the transat jacques Vabre. now to that we can also add that it was second in the velux five oceans race in 2006 and then it just stopped racing this boat hasn't raced literally since 2006 it's literally just come back across the atlantic so there are boats which have done more circumnavigations in this boat this one's done three i think of like whirlpool which was uh le penguin the mark lombard design which i raced against in the Velux five oceans race i think that was its fifth trip around the world so if the boat is checked professionally with uh, ultrasonic testing of all of the major components and nothing is wrong then nothing is wrong with it so i'm pretty um pretty excited to be able to take her onto the water in the year 2000 she had the um, solo distance speed record she was or solo distance record should i say for a solo sailor that she had 438 miles in 24 hours now that has been eclipsed to the tune of um you know another 100 miles in a day by the very very latest boats and I, i can't see this boat suddenly picking up its heels and having another four knots average available but it's quick enough i've never sailed 438 miles in a day the maximum i've done is 385 so I would love to be able to lift my sailing to the point where I can take the boat along as fast as the boat can go. That would be a good uh, objective. So having a look further at the Fino page here, she's um, 5.6 meters wide, 4.5 meters in draft, 9.2 uh, tons in load, it says. Uh, I'd check that. I know that I raced her sister around the world, the Spartan boat, which I took around the world last time, is this boat's sister vessel. And um, she was 9.2 with the mast out and the boom off and the deck spreaders on that boat off. So I think um, that might be a little bit optimistic. I think more about 9.5, but this is the designer's webpage, So I guess we'll get to a point where we'll be able to check that. Uh, 303 square meters of uh, upwind um, uh, sail area and 467 square meters of downwind sail area, which equates to 3,261 square meters going Upwind, And I would say now that that is massively assisted by the fact this boat has a simply enormous mainsail. It's uh, one of the things that you'll notice with this boat, if you do see any images of it, that uh, the bowsprit is very short compared to other open 60s. But then when you look at the other end, the boom goes out beyond the back of the boat. And that's because... You are allowed two meters of overhangs on a open 60 when it's racing normally, six foot overhangs. So Dominic and the designers, the original build skipper Dominic and the designers decided to shorten the bowsprit and to increase the uh, boom so that they had more mainsail area. So the downwind sail area at 467 square meters is 5,026 square foot of canvas going downwind. So she has the... The size of the mast, the the, the the area of the sails, she has all of that in keeping with modern boats. Um, with modern designed sails, then there's a kind of an uh, inequality there. But where she'd lose out is that her hull is probably about 2,000 kilos, like 4,400 pounds heavier than modern boats. It's what makes her strong enough for me to have ever contemplated taking her upwind west around the world. But it means that in light air, she's going to be slower. But um, Southern Ocean, uh, trolling along at, uh, you know, 16, 17, 18 knots. It's huge fun. And for me, I think uh, with the nature of this challenge being so unique, I'm going to be really looking forward to what's ahead. So, um the main thing now for me is to start to create the content that goes with this stuff. I think that's what I've become uh, very focused for on uh, in 2023. Uh, Spartan Ocean Racing as I say is not doesn't really exist anymore. There are still some people that need paying back from events that we were unable to do with uh, Spartan Ocean Racing. So I've got to really step forward with this digital content in a successful manner as I can. I think that having something to focus my efforts on and to drive new content is very important. I think this race could be it. And it occurs to me already that of course, what I can do is go and uh, interview the other members of this group, these uh, 32 full entries of which I am one for this event. And we can find out what kind of people would get involved in something like this. If we do one a week, we've got lots of time to make it happen. I'm sure that every single one of them is going to have a unique story as to why they want to go and race around the world and maybe, I can uh, share anything that I know during that interview with them. So we've got some good content there. We've got to get the boat ready, which for me right now is down to real basics. I haven't sailed the boat, um, as I say, hasn't been out sailing in two years, but um, since I left Nova Scotia in about June of this year to go and do the Newport Bermuda race and then to sail across the UK and go to Iceland and all that other stuff we've been doing, um, the boats had very, very little uh, attention at all. So I was out just the other day uh, jet washing the deck and getting that all cleaned back up again, tidying up anything inside. Obviously, you get uh, drips of condensation during the summer while she's out on her own with no one looking after her. So getting those bits and bobs tidied up uh, this weekend and then get into the, the the kind of the details of the thing and start to get back on top of, OK, where are all the jobs at? What's going on? There was a bit of a disappointment. I found that the mixing elbow, the bit of the exhaust that comes out uh, where the Hot water now from the the cooling jacket of the engine is injected into the exhaust before it sets itself over the side of the boat. That mixing elbow had cracked, but as anybody that's done that job on their own diesel engine knows, those things are probably only good for five or six years anyway, and then should be thrown away without checking them. Uh, (laughs) It's one of those things just that if it cracks in the wrong place in the world, then you've got a serious issue. So be getting a new mixing elbow onto the boat and then uh, the engine is good to go we get some uh, batteries uh, charge uh, going on and we can know that every time we step on board the boat there's going to be charged batteries which has been an intermittent issue over the last uh, little while I've been looking after her because um you know we ended up taking bits and bobs off her to put onto the other boat to go and do the trip to the UK as you might imagine so As I look ahead of this one now, I've got to start making some uh, judgments as to how long it's going to take this boat to go around the world. And I see from looking back at her uh, history, if I look at her going around the world for the V-Lux Five Oceans race in 2006, it's not really a fair indicator because having done that race myself, I know that it is in no way uh, shows how quickly you might go around the world without stopping. Because, of course, the journey into each port that you have to do as you journey around the world takes you off the racing line to a greater or lesser degree. And even if you end up having to be becalmed off a port or you're going upwind to get to a port, there's no other option apart from just dealing with it because uh, the port's only in one place and you've got to get to that place. So looking at her non-stop trips around the world previously, she's done it in uh, 92 days and 105 days. So when she came in in 105 days, which sounds kind of a bit slow, that was actually in a year where the um, the first place position was in 93 days. And then uh, Dominic came in on this boat in uh, fifth position. Fourth position was 102 days. Third position was 96 days. Second position was 94 days. That was Ellen MacArthur. And the boats just after this boat were in, in 105 days, 110 days, 111 days. So she came in kind of like middle of the field. You know, top, top five is never bad for something like the Vendee Globe. The version that she did thereafter, the, the, the next race, was the 2004-2005. She came in fourth in 92 days and mike golden came in in 88 days in third jean le cam in 87 days and vincent rio on uh, uh, which boat was he on in 2004 vincent rio but anyway he's 87 days so she was five days off the 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 top top boats at that point so certainly in the 90s looking pretty good what's always interesting in the vendee globe is that if you then go and look at uh, results from other years some of the speeds, you know, say like 2016, I actually watched the beginning of the uh, 2016 Vendée Globe right there in uh, saab de Look at the boats coming back. When they first got back, they were 74 days, 74 days, 78 days. That's the first three boats. But then Jean-Pierre Dick, 80 days. Next three boats all came in in 80 days. Then 87 days, 93. So the fastest this boat's ever been around the world is 92 days. Spirit of Hungary, Nandofar, that was a foiling boat, came in in 93 days, 19 days after the first place. But that was a time of 93 days in the 2016 uh, edition of the Vendee Globe would have brought the boat in in eighth position. So each year that the, the boat's race is unique to itself because of the, all the different uh, weather conditions and everything else. But, you know, I think this boat has enough speed to be competitive on the water. Um, and I, I, as I was looking through all these numbers and what have you to do with the Vendee Globe, I actually found the fact that um, if you look at the fastest days run for any boats in uh, each edition of the race, you find that uh, this boat actually had the fastest days run in the 2000 2001 Vendee Globe, putting in 430 miles. Um, 2005, Roland Jordan did a 439 in the race. Uh, 2008, Michel Desjouillot did a 466 and then it starts to get 2012, the boats get much lighter, much faster, 534, and then Alex Thompson and Hugo Boss Six in 2016 doing a 536 miles in a day, which is um, pretty awesome going. But um, this little boat, yeah, might be 100 miles behind, but um, I think if we can get it onto the water and we can keep it moving at uh, a steady speed, then there's a good chance we can overtake a lot of the boats in this race. And that draws up an interesting, uh, kind of point here, which is like, how far ahead are some of these boats going to be? So when we go back to the uh, Global Solo Challenge uh, uh, website at globalsolochallenge.com dot com, there's a little tag here, the GSC, and about the GSC, um, there's a, a little graphic here which shows that Group uh, Four are going to set off. Oh, on the, the sorry, the second of September, the second of September, two thousand and twenty-three, and then departures on the ninth of September, the sixteenth of September the 23rd of September, the 30th of September, and then there's like this big long gap to the 28th of uh, October, which is for the super zero class. And then as I say, we've got this like super, super zero, uh, which we're just discussing at the moment, how and when that's gonna go. And it looks like it'll be early December. So massive gap, how far ahead will the other boats be? Um, For my calculation, you know, if you set off... uh, in September that's a little bit early for the season but it's going to take these guys a little bit longer to get down the Atlantic there's no stopping at Cape Town so they're straight off the bottom so it's like five and a half six thousand miles to Cape Town um the quickest route depends how you get around St Helena High I think they'll have completed that I from my calculations I think that by the time I set off from France they're going to be looking at sorry from Spain I beg your pardon from the from the Bay of Biscay but from La Corona in um In Spain, that's the start point for this event. We could be looking at the fact that some of the boats will be as far as a thousand miles uh, east of Africa by the time I set off, which is (laughs) like kind of a considerable distance. I'm very, very interested to try and work out how, you know, there's a couple things going on here. Number one, there's an attrition of like of sailors and of boats. There's going to be the weather and exactly how the weather goes down. Um, There's going to be who's able to race their boat you know there might be the potential speed of a boat but then there's the how close to that potential speed can you keep the boat all the time because that's the nature of racing as uh, david adams once said to me you need to put up as much sail area as you can um well, as much sail as you can, then let God bring it down, but put up enough sail area that you're permanently petrified. That was his words to me. I remember him saying to me in New Zealand, um, I'd asked him the question, you know, why I was so far behind the other competitors in the Velux 5 Oceans race. And he said, you're a hell of a seaman, but you're no kind of racer. He said, you need to put up so much sail area that you're permanently petrified. And uh, unfortunately, with these bigger boats, with the big um, race boats, like Formula One cars, you know, to keep adding horsepower and it keeps going faster, um, the, 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 point at which you have to start reducing horsepower is when the speed that you have is becoming dangerous that you're porpoising out a wave sticking the nose of the boat underwater and that you're going to pitch pole if you keep going like that so there's any reason to reduce the horsepower so it's just a case of put as much up as you can then hold on as tight as possible people who are coming to this having not done this kind of racing before it will be a massive challenge to to step into that world and be on it all the time every moment, every night, every day, trimming, sail changes, all the rest of it to to keep the boat moving as quickly as possible. So not knowing exactly what those variables are, we could look at the potential speeds of the boats, but that might not be a a very good indicator of what's the likelihood of catching them up. Um, The theory should be here that if uh, each boat has a head start given to it based on its performance capabilities and that it's being sailed close to those capabilities, then we should all end up at the finish line, pretty much at the same time. Um, so it's going to be a kind of test for IRC, <laughs> IRC rating system. But um, that is that is where this is going to become a very, very interesting uh, race around the world. Um, I hope that the organizers are getting contact with the guys from Virtual Regatta, because uh, I've loved doing those in the past for longer races. And it would be pretty amazing to be able to choose anything from a Saddler 36 we see there, up to an Open 60, and yet they've all got a chance to to race together. It's nothing like this has been done before. Not this kind of distance, and um, I'm really excited to be involved in it. So, yeah, I'm going to keep this one uh, kind of a little bit shorter than I would do uh, normally because uh, I don't want to just keep going on and on about it. We can there's there's a project here, but um, it only becomes a project when things start to happen towards it, right? So. A lot of what's going to happen, I'm going to keep over on Patreon, keeping the Mariner podcast for a, a variety of things. I'll touch base with you every month and tell you how things are going along. If you want to get more involved in the, the actual day-to-day of the race preparations, I'm I'm excited to share this with my Patreon community because I think there's an opportunity there for me to learn, for me to do things better. It's very important that I have somebody looking over my shoulder to make sure I stay on things. I'm it's too easy to get distracted off with little bits and bobs and kind of lose the overall picture. So when you're doing a solo uh, event like this, I'm not going to be getting a crew involved in this. I'm not going to be getting anybody else involved in me in, in, in me, my preparation. I want me to be the person who takes full responsibility from it, from diving and cleaning the bottom of it to fixing the masthead light to deciding the sail shapes to you know picking the sails on the day when we're out on the water. If it's something you entirely do yourself, then you can completely own the result however good or bad that may be that's one of the allures of uh, of, of solo sailing that it's uh, in the end there's, there's nobody you can blame but yourself right so i want to take that to the to the max by getting everything ready I say the boat's in good good condition um things like getting the jet washing going now is something that allows me to focus in a little bit and get my uh, head around what's going to be happening um and start to identify issues. It's interesting as well, as always, you're always still learning in sailing. Um, You know, uh, there's things that have happened this summer on the Maxi, which have given me now a a better critical eye to look at some elements on the deck of the Open 60 and recognize the things I don't want to be setting off around the world with. Um, We had the the connector between the Vang and the base of the mast break on the Maxi during the the Newport Bermuda race and create a situation where then the, the boom is trying to sky itself um it's uh, we had a, a kite wrapped at the same time so we couldn't just sheet in the main and take the boom under control we had to leave the sheet eased and the boom's jumping up and down and the vangs trying to drive itself through the deck and all for the component uh, made of alloy having had a microfracture at some point and then decided to crack at that moment so when i got on the uh, open 60 the other day and saw the gooseneck connector um has the same similar kind of corrosion on it than the, that the uh, the van connector had on the maxi it's like hmm that's going to be replaced before we go anywhere because imagine the gooseneck coming off on an open 60 it's like i don't want to even think about that so I'm, i've learned a lot recently that could help this but since i last raced around the world obviously i've sailed like another two hundred thousand miles so i've done a lot of miles since i last did this and i am extremely interested to see how that all gets laid down not least the Mental element. Um, last time I sailed solo for such a long period of time, I was in a very difficult situation with a relationship breaking up, with my father very, very ill, and that had a very, very damaging effect on me, on my, on my calm, on my mental state. And uh, it took years, literally, to get over what I'd done to myself. You know, I've, I've said before on this podcast, I had a nervous breakdown going down the Atlantic, um, which had me crying in the bilge of the boat for a couple of days with a blanket over my head because I just. I'd already just come back at that point from 40,000 miles around the world with 20 crew and then jumped into eight weeks of getting the boat ready without, you know, a moment to sit down and then all this emotional stuff happening in my life. And I got halfway down the Atlantic and I'm like, I'm I'm done with this. And uh, the good thing was that come the end of it, you know, when you get to the end of the crying and there's no more crying to be done and uh, you start to put the pieces back together again, I'm still a thousand miles offshore, so I just have to keep keep sailing and that in its way showed me how to put the pieces back together because you've got to kind of continue on so here we are now what that was 2010 i guess that happened first race was 2009 2010 yeah so 2010 we're now 23 years later when uh, 23 years (laughs) 13 years later okay it's it's time's moving quickly it's not moving that quickly 13 years later here i go again i've learned a lot since then i've learned a lot about my own mental landscape and and how to deal with the, the demons therein. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to put that to uh, to the test. Because when I think back over the races I did, um, I was looking at this the other day because there was some, I, I had to put in like all the different races I've done and the, the times for the race organizers for the Global Solo Challenge. And I realized that although I lost on points uh, and got fourth place in the Von, in the Velux Five Oceans race, actually in terms of time, I, I drew or was slightly quicker than my uh, good friend, that we were within a couple of hours each other of our elapsed time going around the world but um i was slightly ahead of him um he of course ended up um cracking his ribs and having to go into recife for a couple of days to see a doctor and sort himself out before he could continue on and that allowed me on elapsed time to, to claim third although of course it's not really claiming anything because the race was decided on points gained in each leg but uh I was, it was good to look back over the numbers and like, oh yeah, okay. That was my average speed and this is what we were doing. And, but then start thinking about like, you know, was there any time that I could have changed the sales and made a better choice? Is there any time I could have kept trimming? Is there any time that I could have done this and there that, you know, there's lots of times that I can think of, but a lot of it was just, I didn't want to do it. Like I was in a, in a difficult mental position. And I just wasn't engaged in the race. So to go back and, and to know where I've made mistakes, where I've lost time, and having had the experience of coming into punta del este and then losing second place by 40 seconds after six and a half thousand miles like i've learned how important a second is a degree is a, you know an inch is so i'm going to be racing in a different way than i perhaps have done before and also in between the last race i did in this one i've done a lot of a lot of other races um you know a lot of caribbean 600s and and middle sea race and uh, i know the fast net and all sorts of things you know plus like another 20 transats so there's a different person going to the start line and i hope to have the boat in a different condition i've got a boat which is quick enough i'd love to come back off this race saying i can push that boat as fast as it will go which then sets you up to be ready to drive another boat and go even faster again so there's lots of good things in it but i hope um yeah with the patreon community that i've got we can start to uh share videos on a weekly basis and and blogs and all the rest of it do those interviews with the other skippers for the global solar challenge find out what their story is and uh, and share the journey with you it's going to be a year-long journey which is at the beginning of december now by this time next year i need to be in la corona ready ready to go on this event so i invite you along with me so what else has been going on um a little change with the uh, Rare Nautical Reads podcast. It changed the name. Um, anybody that listens to that regularly, there's quite a few folks uh, tuning into that one. Um, we read these stories um, every. We're doing them five times a week, and I have been holding that schedule now. <laughs> surprising myself for quite a long time. It it it's sort of solidified out at uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They're the days that seem to. Um, capture enough you know capture the audience and uh, the audience don't seem to be very interested to listen to that podcast on Sunday and Monday from my uh, research so we run from Tuesday through Saturday and uh, the only issue I got uh, well I'm sure you know everyone's got their opinion of course but um, the the main issue I got which I could do something about was the fact that uh, trying to say the phrase rare nautical reads to something like Siri or Google or Bixby or whatever else it is you've got um, Alexa um, it doesn't seem to be able to pick it up. Like even when I say it and I've got a pretty standard English accent and I'm being pretty precise about it, um, it thinks "reads" is Reef and uh, it misses out Rare and thinks it's something completely different. And uh, you end up like <laughs> listening to everything other than the Rare Nautical Reads podcast. So um, I have changed the name of it to The Mariner's Library and I don't think that can really go that badly wrong. So Rare Nautical Reads continues. We just uh, put out uh, episode 101 And we're starting a new book uh, this week coming on Tuesday, Um, the Mariner's Library available, of course, on uh, Apple and Spotify and all those good things. And the book that I've um, started with is called The Cruises of the Joan, um, which I'm doing all these super old books that were um, published like, you know. 70 80 years ago but i think if we don't do something now we're going to kind of lose them from the collective consciousness of sailors because they're not being reproduced in any other modern format no one's like digitizing this and making a film from it so um, i'll read you the the inside of the um dust jacket which this book's got it says that joan was 22 feet long and carried no engine she sailed first round great britain later to spain madeira and the baltic and last to iceland and down the greenland coast bound for america Disaster overtook her south of Cape Farewell. She was dismasted in a gale and hold, lost her pump overboard and drifted southward for six days till she reached the shipping routes and was abandoned after her crew of two had been picked up by a passing steamer. The motorboat magazine said a book which deserves to rank with the classic tales of our amateur ocean navigators. News Chronicle said Mr Sinclair is lucky to be alive modestly as he writes the courage and uh, resource he displayed shine through these pages and from the little ship club journal it is not until you look at the track charts with dotted lines wandering all over the northern hemisphere that you realize that here are some of the most remarkable voyages ever made in small craft so i'm looking forward to reading it and i'm so lucky to have these uh, books available to do this donated as they were to me by Uh, Bruce Harsey, whose late father, Rudy Harsey, had brought this library together over many decades. They're here now as as a Mariner's Library, and I think uh, changing the name to that uh, absolutely suits it. But um, as I say, I don't want to have this one drag on too long. The main thrust of today's uh, episode is just to tell you that I'm going to be doing the Global Solo Challenge. Watch this space. Clearly, we've had a few other false starts with this uh, around-the-world racing thing, so I guess uh, we'll know if it's really happening, if it uh, continues to... Generate results. Um, I won't. I won't block up the airwaves here on the Mariner with everything to do with the round the world race. We'll touch back uh, every month, as I say. But over on Patreon, that's going to be the main source of it. Here on the Mariner, the next episode is going to be about the Halifax explosion. And if you don't know about this, this was the largest uh, non-nuclear explosion ever set off uh, by mankind. Um, an enormous accident here in Nova Scotia which pretty much leveled the city of Halifax um, caused by a collision between two vessels uh, in the harbour. A completely incredible story and added to uh, recently by a close family member who was telling me that uh, there is an account which is actually on the CBC, on the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Commission, a documentary. Um, It was called The Flying Sailor. Somebody ended up in the air for two minutes and landed uh, without injury without clothes but with a cigarette still in his hands now if that is not a story to drag in sailors then i don't know what is the flying sailor during the halifax explosion so we'll get to the bottom of whether that's a true story or not on the next episode but um, until then check out the mariners library if you'd like to hear a story from days of yon uh, they go out tuesday to saturday patreon if you want to get uh, more information about the global solar challenge But as always, I hope that wherever you are and whatever you are doing today, you're enjoying yourself, enjoying your sailing, and I'll speak to you in the next one. Cheers.